Welcome to our remaster podcast, Fat Manasra. Tonight's guest is Safi Khan. Safi Khan is a full-time youth instructor at Roots DFW and a student at Qalam Seminary. He has a bachelor's degree in teacher education from the University of Memphis in his hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. We had served as youth director in a full-time capacity for four years, mashallah. He now lives in Dallas, Texas, where both he and I reside, actually. Um, that's great news to know, Brother Safi, that we could continue um, connections, inshallah, post the podcast. That's amazing. And he lives in Dallas with his wife since 2019, where he offers an array of educational, social, and community programming for Muslims from the ages of 13 through 21. These programs aim to deliver authentic Islamic education while providing a safe and welcoming environment in the spirit of the prophetic community. Jazakallah khair and welcome. How are you today? Alhamdulillah, doing well. Uh, as you said, I'm pleasantly surprised that we're both uh, from Dallas, which is actually a nice surprise, mashallah. I did not know that. And uh, it just it just makes me happy that Dallas has so many, you know, amazing people doing awesome work. Alhamdulillah, it makes me happy to hear that. Alhamdulillah, I've been here for almost 10 years. There was a gap there for a little bit where I tried to move back to where I grew up, which is California. Um, but I really like it here. My husband and his family are from here. So it okay. ends up balancing each other out. Alhamdulillah. Uh, I also see that you have a cat. I have two of them. So yeah, do I yours do. bother and you? I, do they try to get in the shot? I, I, I am I'm really, really hoping that it's not a problem. I will put them away if I need to. <laughs> no, it shouldn't be a problem. Mine likes to come up and like do, join the interview herself. Yeah, so yeah. I have to close the door on her. Yeah, no, <laughs> literally, literally, this is like something that I get used to now whenever I teach, especially during the pandemic, um, when, when we were teaching online myself and the other instructors at Roots, we would just like randomly see our cats all file into the room and just like stand on top of the desk and they would all magically be a part of all of our classes. And so we, we got really, really, you know, interesting feedback back we're like wow we didn't know the the roots instructors had so many animals <laughs> so it was, it was really yeah, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. It's, it's an interesting experience especially with the pandemic uh so jazakallah khair for being with us today um much like yourself and i'm sure with everything that's happened in our local community and, and dallas especially in the last few weeks right uh, you know we grapple with the youth space and understanding how difficult it can be and the challenges that that come with that being a right. youth and uh, 2021, being a youth that, um, you know, might have different cultural backgrounds or religious uh, practices, or even some that might have an absence of elders or mentors. Mm -hmm. And so the challenges that come with wearing that hat, with being involved in the youth in the community, I very much appreciate all the work that you put into and all the effort that you've put to the community with Roots, and as well as continuing your education with Qalam Seminary. Jazakallah for being here with us today, Brother Safi, much like yourself, you know, being in this community in Dallas, as well as I'm sure other cities and other communities grapple with the same uh, difficulties of youth space, youth issues and concerns, um, depending on the generation they're in and what cultural background they have, and maybe even a religious practice or uh, family influences. We see that there is a constant struggle and, and difficult um, ability to, or youth are grap grappling with the ability and the challenges that they face in society. Yeah, all the hard work that you're putting out and we're grateful to have the opportunity and space to have this discussion today, this conversation um, that is very essential to youth specifically and it is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So really not focusing on what the issues are or not really like, you know, we don't wanna to spend too much time on what the youth have grappled with, but I think it's important that we address this concept of forgiveness 
um, that a lot of times, and when you hear stories of what's recently happened in our community or even other communities, everyone, the most common theme we hear is like, oh, they felt hopeless, like that there was no, there was nothing that can be done, right? right. And so they struggle with that. And I really want to uh, give the opportunity for you to share with us what it means for youth to have forgiveness or to understand forgiveness in their lives and how we can empower people in general to be vulnerable to, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to understand that the forgiveness comes from Allah and it's not from society or from other people. That's Yeah, that's a really, really powerful question, I actually think. Um, one of the things that um, I always remember growing up that was almost like a struggle with the misunderstanding of Islam for me personally was that I mixed a lot of religion and culture together. And I think, you know, and I think that's actually like an everlasting struggle, no matter what generation you're in. Um, just because we're all kind of, you know, uh, products of, you know, our family tradition and our, you know, societal tradition. So it's like a mix of American culture and, you know, they see Arab culture, wherever you're from, African culture, Asian, whatever, wherever you're from. Um, and one of the byproducts of that traditional influence is that we are very much pressured from society to act a certain way and to think a certain way. Um, and this, unfortunately, also leads into the idea of mistakes and, you know, sins almost being unforgettable, right? Uh, that people never really forget anything, right? No matter what mistake I make, it's going to like stick in people's minds like glue. Um, and I remember that I grew up almost like with that mentality, right? Where like people would just remember mistakes, people would never forget anything, right? And now with the new kind of addition, which, you know, the youth nowadays, I always kind of joke around about this with my teenagers at, at Roots, but, you know, at least like I was like born... Uh, I was almost like introduced to social media. Like the teenagers now are like born into it. Like they didn't know a life before Twitter. They yeah. never knew a life before Instagram. Like they were literally just kind of like given birth straight into the social media <laughs> hospital. Um, and so uh, we live in a very unforgiving society, I think, right? Because like the whole idea of the 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 general culture of what we live in is like that unforgetting, unforgiving nature. Um, and I almost had to learn uh, when I started to kind of like take mentors for myself, older brothers and uh, even older sisters who really kind of influenced me in the right way, that Islam is like that break in that societal like anxiety that we all suffer through a lot, you know. Um, and so, you know, when I first, you know, started to really understand Islam in a really, I guess, in a really deep way and, and contextual way. I started to realize that Islam is almost like the break in all of this craziness in this world. Um, before that, I just viewed it as just like a religion. Oh, it's just, you know, I pray, you know, I fast, I make dua, you know, I, I read Quran. It, it was always, always ritualistic, you know, it was always ritual. Um, and then I finally realized, you know, when I finally got into like almost like my college, my college years, is when I realized that subhanAllah, Islam has a lot more depth than just ritual. Um, it was the solution to a lot of the societal issues that we suffer through now. And alhamdulillah, one of the byproducts of that, like you were mentioning, is this idea that Islam promotes this amazing, amazing realm of forgiveness, right? That, you know, once that you as a human being repent for something, then 
Allah, unlike society and you know people in this world, just wipes it away from your from your slate. Um, and I thought that was something that was really incredible. Um, and it was something that actually drew me into the religion, not only into the religion as a as a one as someone that practices it, but also as someone that wants to pursue you know the knowledge of it, uh, also the teaching of it to our younger folks. Um, it really did kind of it really did um, help me. Uh, find that niche and find that kind of that desire to be able to follow through with that career path. Um, and so, like you said, I mean, forgiveness is such an important thing. And I think, you know, I think the more that our teenagers really understand that and internalize that, the more that they'll use Islam as a real kind of escape from a lot of the issues of this world and not another issue that's piled up on top of their plate of that's kind of currently what it is. It's like, oh, I got homework. I got family. I got this. I got that. Oh, and now I got to also be a good Muslim, right? It's like <laughs> an added ingredient to the pile of anxiety that they already have. Rather, Islam is the counterpart that kind of helps you, aids you uh, make meaning of it all, right? So that's kind of like my viewpoint on that, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, just like Allah said, I think it's very important that we emphasize that, you know, that forgiveness, that, that ability for it to be erased, it's not even a mistake that's on your record or held against you, mm. is, is something unique to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's the partner, he's the afu, right? Mm. So, uh, you know, one of my first uh, du'as or one of my first du'as that was my favorite to memorize is you're the partner who loves to pardon, so pardon me, or pardon, uh, pardon me. And I think that when people realize um, when they associate the word forgiveness, they associate it with what they understand or what they do. Because, you yes. know, they tell you growing up, especially in the West, forgive, but don't forget. Like, you know, remember who hurt you or remember who did this or who did that. And, it, and it's not that you shouldn't learn. It's not mm. that we shouldn't learn from our experiences. It's that, that forgiveness element, the element of forgiveness is a standalone. You mm. could remember and, and learn and grow. But the first part of it is you forgive. So you don't let it have a place in your heart. You don't have let it have a place in your mind. And then the second part is you learn from it. So you, you grow and you, you change and you maybe even uh, develop different ways of interacting with that person or that experience. Right. But the part of it having a place in your heart or a place in your mind is, is supposed to be gone. That is what right. forgiveness is, right? But when we associate it with dunya and, and the modern world and how we really think of everything, it really gets diminished. Um, so I think forgiveness is um, is a heavier valued word than we right. make it out to be. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate yeah. your perspective on that. I, I, I think that um, to emphasize the difference, especially for the youth, is very essential to their growth. Yeah, I, I think, you know, kind of like you mentioned, the, I, I like the, the, the kind of phrase that you use, like forgive but not forget. Um, the reality is that Allah does forgive and forget, right? Like, and he chooses to forget. Um, and I think that's an incredible, incredible, you know, kind of, you know, uh, idea, because uh, there is this sense, you know, like I said, in this world where kids, even if they feel like they said sorry to somebody, or they changed their ways, uh, they kind of made up for a mistake that they made or a lifestyle that they used to live, and they're trying to get better. Um, unfortunately, there is like that one person in the community that will never ever treat them, you know, different. They would never treat them like they deserve to be treated because of that one mistake they made. They were labeled that kid or that person because of that mistake that they made. I mean, I've witnessed this on several accounts where a kid walks into a masjid and I saw with my own eyes, I heard with my own ears, like uncle saying, you know, oh, watch out for that guy, right? Can be careful with that, that guy. Don't, 
don't let your kids hang out with him. I literally audibly heard this stuff. And subhanAllah, I mean, and, and we have no idea the effect that that has on a person's motivation to get better, right? Um, if I'm a person that's trying to sincerely, you know, with, you know, ikhlas and uh, real, you know, and really clean intention tries to kind of renew and refine myself, um, how demotivating is that, right? To like think that, you know, nobody will ever truly forget um, and, and, and it's true. I mean, the way that we're treated in this world has a profound effect on how we view our religion, because sometimes we learn religion from these people. Um, if the people yeah. that we learn religion from cannot actually embody the religion, then how is it possible for the person to actually be attached to the deen itself? Um, it's a tough task. Yeah, it is. Um, I guess the reminder for, for the youth, especially, but everyone in general, and, and is to understand that we are not beyond hope, that Allah mm. subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable of, of, of every uh, level of mercy, every level of forgiveness and pardoning. And we're not beyond hope. Like nothing we have done, nothing that could have possibly be done is beyond that forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's who we should seek and not, you know, the uncle will always be there. The auntie will always be there. Maybe mm. even the parents and the siblings and the cousins and the aunts, people you're surrounded by and you love dearly. So you want them to give you that hope. But remembering that um, that connection you're looking for or that hope that you're seeking is with you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right. So when you were praying five times a day, you're having a conversation with Allah. You're not remembering anybody else in the process. You're not worrying about anyone else in the process. You're really focused on your ability to seek that forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. And when we talk about youth in general, you know, as you said, their experience is negative sometimes. For lack of a better word, they're thrown under the bus sometimes, they're scrutinized in ways, and uh, makes it really awkward timeline where their actions are being accounted for. Mm. Um, you know, their sins are accounted for, and their good deeds and bad deeds are accounted for from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're being measured, but they're also being accounted for in the life, in, in yeah. the dunya. You know, they're being scrutinized left and right. There's no um, new ability to move beyond that. Yeah. And so they continue to face challenges, they're continuing historical references to something that may have ha happened in the past. Right. Uh, so with all of these things in mind, uh, in your experience, what are we missing from our spaces, from our masajid, our musallas, our community centers? What are we missing from these spaces when it comes to teaching forgiveness and understanding mistakes? What are yeah, we forgetting you know, so like, to pay attention to? Yeah, so you mentioned the beginning, actually, uh, when you were kind of describing uh, the roots kind of mentality, right? You know, one of the things that we strive to do is provide um, a, a community in the spirit of the prophetic community. Um, and, I, and we always ask ourselves the question, and this is actually something that I ask myself, even in my personal life, what would the Prophet would have done? Like, what would he have done? Um, in any situation that I'm in, whether it is a good situation or a bad situation or a challenging situation, I always ask myself, what would the Prophet done? What would he done in the situation? What would he would have done in the situation? Um, and you know, one of the things that I think is extremely profound is that the Prophet literally made everybody feel like the community was theirs. Um, no matter if you were an elder Sahabi like, you know, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, or if you were an, a, a middle-aged Sahabi like uh, Uthman ibn Affan, or you were like a teenager like Mus'ab ibn Umair, um, there was a space literally for everyone, and everyone felt at home. Uh, and I think that's the key word. You feel at home. Uh, this is why, you know, I think that not only just like the physical space, right? Like one of the one of the really cool things that the youth always used to tell us about roots before obviously the pandemic hit was that our space had like 
very a homely feel to it. There were like couches, you know, where they could sit. Um, there, there was a coffee machine in the corner and we used to make coffee for them. And, you know, whatever they used to order from Starbucks, which is obviously trash. I'm mean, just kidding. Um, you know, they can, they, they can, is better, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Inshallah, inshallah. They, they can come and get it, you know, at roots. Um, and they have a good time while they do it. Right. Um, it's not just about the lecture. It's not just about, you know, like the, the objective of, you know, like the program, you know, a big part of our roots youth program is just that welcoming nature. Right. I just want you to sit down and be able to have a sincere conversation about who you are. I always tell this to every youth director I ever meet, right? I mean, I'm, you know, I've been in the game for quite a bit of time now, you know, serving at least for four or five years full time and then serving part time before. Um, if you, if you don't know the names and at least one life fact about the person you're serving, wh wh why are we doing what we're doing? Right. It's a human connection. Absolutely. Yeah. Why, why are you doing what you're doing, man? I, the Prophet every single person he ever gave advice to, every single person he ever even saw in a Jum'ah that he was giving a khutbah in, he knew their names. You know, he knew the kid's name that was sitting there. He knew the kid's dad that was sitting there. He knew the person's mom that was sitting there. What's the excuse for us? to literally sit and be like, all right, guys, let's to get, let's get together to, for a, a conversation about the story of Prophet Ibrahim, right? And I have no idea that that kid's name is like Bilal or I have no idea that kid's sister's name is Amina. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? So community building starts with that personal touch before programs and events. Um, I think that's what's missing in our communities. I, I, I look around the community now, mashallah, and I think ever since COVID started like a year ago, I think the Muslim community has proven that they are extremely creative with their event planning. Everyone, mashallah, has done so much, whether you're in Dallas or Michigan or California, everyone's done so much, honestly. Like there, I think the issue in COVID has been, there's been too many programs. Like, I don't know what, I don't know which one my mm -hmm. kids should attend because what there's so pick? many. Yeah, yeah, there's so many options available, right? Should I send my kids here? There's online program. I think we're all zoomed out, right? Like every, everybody's doing programming, but the programs that set, themselves apart from other programs are the programs that make kids feel like they're at home uh, mm -hmm. other than just like that lecture um, and I think that was the recipe 20 years ago I think that's the recipe 10 years ago I think that's the recipe now and I think that'll be the recipe 50 years from now which program you can right yeah I don't think you can not do that I think mentorship is the key quality Absolutely. And even in mass, when we look at all our programming, our individual qiyams, our all-nighters, our mentorship uh, seminars, our usar, mm -hmm. you know, our small halaqat, everything is focused on the concept of mentorship and everything is focused on this ability to connect with each person individually so that um, you know their name, so that you know their facts and the story and where they come from. And I think mm -hmm. the fact that you emphasize that makes it very um, important to mention that it didn't matter the platform, whether you go to Roots or if you come to Mass or if you go to a different Masjid. It's important that everyone embodies this ability to mentor the youth, mm. to allow them a space to feel safe, allow them a space to come and call it their home, yep. right? You want them lounging on your couches. You want yep. them to be there playing video games. You don't want them out in the streets doing something else. Yeah, That's yeah. a good thing, actually. I mean, yeah. I, I think the same by Roots, right? You want them to hang out there and you want them to have an environment where they feel like they could come and just be with family. Yeah, literally, literally, literally one, of our, one of our mottos is that, you know, we tell all of our attendees is that when you're at Roots, you come as you are and you learn Islam as it is. 
Um, I think, and I think that's a very profound kind of motto because it, it preaches that, you know, whoever walks through our doors, we, we love that you're here. And it doesn't matter if you're a person who is Hafiz Quran, you've memorized Quran in your life, or you're a person who literally just learned about Islam yesterday and you have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea the manners and etiquettes of Islam. You have, you have no idea of any of that. You're all welcome here because at the end of the day, you know, a new Muslim in, in, in the city of Medina would sit with a Muslim like Omar ibn Khattab, who was Muslim forever, right? Like, you know, th that was the that was the culture, man. I mean, you know, th there was actually a specific, there was a very specific kind of tradition that the Prophet he had where he would actually put together a, a, a an older experience Sahabi with a newer kind of like a more charismatic young Sahabi. And they would almost form this like dynamic duo team where they would go out and just conquer the world together and teach people Islam together because you need that balance. You need that balance of of uh, you need that balance of, of of like kind of like the different personalities. Not everyone in Islam has to. Too. Yeah, not everyone in Islam has to be. And this is why I think it's it's so important that we have the, these these programs that teach kids that it's okay if you look at you know Abu Bakr as Siddiq as a mentor, or you look at Aisha radiallahu anha as a mentor, or you look at Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib as a, as a mentor. You know, you, you you look at these different people and you find your own kind of characteristics within them, and that's why that's why youth programs are so unique. It's not just one person; it can never be one person. There has to be an array of personalities and mentors. I'm sure mass embodies that that you you have to make sure that you have an array of people that your kids can look up to because you never know uh which one your teen actually might you know align with and really relate to yeah that's a great a great um reminder that it's important to have uh, different personalities that can shape others because of that human connection and i think that's very valuable i wanted to move into um you know the concept of making mistakes especially as a youth right um, and I see it with my children. I have um, my two older girls, they're nine and seven. So they're really in that phase of like, mama, you're too old. You're from like the previous generation and you don't understand. I was like, oh, already? But let's not like we started already with this conversation. <laughs> but really this concept of allowing them to make mistakes that it is to tell them you are going to mess up. This will be a mistake that you make. That's okay. But let us learn and pay attention to these moments. How do we grow? What do we pull? What are what are the lessons we're drawing from it? What um what direction are we going in from that mistake? And right. so when we talk to youth about the actuality of mistakes and how they will always happen, that our life is all about um, learning. Okay, what is the best way to remind them that that turning point or that growth that they're getting is something that will bring them closer to Islam or please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, that level of repentance or that forgiveness that they take. Yeah, I think, you know, and it starts honestly with a very powerful, um, powerful reminder, a narration from our tradition where um, it's said that actually, you know, our two, the two angels that are on our shoulders, right, that uh, when the angel on our right side, you know, whenever we do a good deed, Allah Ta'ala tells them to immediately write it down, no matter what it is, because there's kind of like the sense of urgency to write down our good deeds. But then when it comes to its counterpart, the angel on the left hand side, um, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala tells that angel right when a person commits a sin to not immediately hasten to write down that sin. And it's very interesting, because if you're like thinking equal, then that that angel should hasten to write down that that evil deed or that mistake that that person made just like the angel on the right side hastened to write down the good deed but Allah tells the angel on the left to hold up 
Why? Because Allah Ta'ala is hopeful that his servant, his slave will, will, will opt to make istighfar and ask for forgiveness from him so that sin can be wiped clean. I was actually teaching this concept yesterday at Roots. We have a class called Faithful uh, for older teenagers. And I said, how incredible is it that, you know, when you turn in a piece of paper, right, um, it would, that has pencil markings all over it, and you make a mistake on that paper and you erase it, there is still like this kind of this, this, this sign or almost like this kind of evidence that there was a marking there at one point and you're erasing it. So that's that, that, that mark is still somewhat visible. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't even want the angel to have that mark visible there. It, he doesn't even want a trace of that mistake there. Um, and, and I think, you know, knowing people, knowing that Allah ta'ala literally wants to forgive you is a huge, huge idea. Um, it's a huge moral morale booster that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not enjoy when you make mistakes. You know, I think unfortunately, and this is actually something that I actually think that the, the Christian community, uh, although we disagree with them theologically, something that they've done culturally that's very, very profound is that they teach this idea of God loves and God loves and God loves before anything to do with punishment, right? And this is also a part of our religion. I mean, when the Prophet ﷺ went to, you know, the heavens, Isra wal Mi'raj, he literally said that he saw on the throne of God, the Arsh of Allah, you know, inna rahmati sabaqat ghadabi, right? That my, 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 my mercy supersedes, overtakes, overwhelms my punishment and my anger. Um, I, I think, you know, that is such a profound uh, idea, profound teaching. And I don't think our kids know that. I don't think our kids honestly understand that, that they think that Allah is like a punishing God. Allah is a God that likes to punish. And there is this idea of Jahannam and, you know, Jahannam is scary. But man, do our, do our kids know the descriptions of Jannah? Do they know the descriptions of Jannah al-Firdaus? Like, do they know that? Do they know that Allah, there's a narration that literally says that if we were perfect human beings, that Allah would actually just, just completely get rid of us and recreate us as fallible, mistaken people that would ask for his forgiveness, that Allah literally loves to forgive? Um, I don't think they know that. I don't think they know that, you know? Uh, so I think, you know, this mold that our kids kind of under, you know, have been taught forever that you have to fit into this mold to be a Muslim, that you have to fit this picture, the 16 by 19 ratio to be a Muslim. <laughs> I, th I think, I think we got to, we, we got to really rethink that model, right? That, you know, that, yeah. that, that Islam is for, it, it literally is for mistaken people. Islam's not for perfect people. It's not. If it was, it, if you're a perfect person, Islam's not for you. <laughs> like, unfortunately, right? It's not for you. You have to be a person who needs something, right? Just like Prophet Musa alayhi salam, right? Uh, uh, like, I need something, man. I need help from you. I, if I would, if I didn't need anything from you, what's the point of me being a Muslim, right? If I, I, I was, I was perfect. I'm good on my own. We are all mistaken people, and I think that's something that we need to teach our kids. And I think that's one of the things that, that we're missing again in the Muslim community is that rel relatability of mis just being mistaken. Like, I make mistakes. You make mistakes just because yeah. I wear a kufi and I have, right, I have, I wear a kufi, I have a beard and mashallah, you know, uh, Sister Wafa wears a hijab and she works at mass. Like, just because we have these outward appearances of like being 
Islamic doesn't mean that we're anywhere near or even close to being, you know, a, a perfect Muslim, um, that we all have our skeletons in our closet and we all ask for istighfar in some way or the other, right? Or we all, you know, ask for ask for forgiveness somewhere or the other. So I think that is important. I think putting putting down that wall of like perfection and almost like making sure that you're a little bit vulnerable to your youth is a huge deal when it comes to their development as Muslims is that, oh, you know what, even like Imam, you know, even Sheikh asks for forgiveness like that is like mm -hmm. that's profound right when i remember one of the first times i really islam hit my heart is when i saw one of one of our teachers back home like when we were when we were uh back in memphis and he was our our teacher that taught us how to read quran and he broke down crying in his dua and i was like dang i was like this guy he, like feels really sincere about what he's asking for right like it really broke me down as a person um and it was just kind of like an incredible thing for me to witness and that's the moment where i realized I was like man islam's for everybody you know yeah, I mean, the human traits that you mentioned is very um, encouraging. I feel like my moment, one of the moments that hit me hard is when I realized or recognized that in our aqidah, we're known in, in the Islamic creed, it's known that we as mankind are sinners. It is known, mm. like, it's not like, it's not like, oh, we will, we sin because that's something we learn later on. No, mm. we were like created and known to be sinners and it's a repentance and the turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that makes us believers, makes us better Muslims. Yeah, absolutely. And, and remembering that, you know, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, um, he's answering the call of the caller. He's, mm. not, he's not answering the call of the believer. He's mm. not call, answering the call of the most righteous. He's answering the call of the caller. So you just have to call on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he will answer, he will respond. And uh, for me, um, hearing what you're saying and, and taking that into account, reminding our communities and whether it be the masajid, the mosques, you know, the musallas, the community centers, even our homes. Mm -hmm. It's so humbling to remember with your own children, whether they're seven or 17 or 27, that they are humans. And we yes. are humans too. I might yell at my kid and I'm making a mistake and I have to be able to own up to that just the same way that we want them to own up. You know, a lot of times we think parent to child, parent has the hierarchy and the child has yes, the lower absolutely. level and we need to answer. Um, but sometimes we have to remember we're on the same Muslim, Muslim, sinner, sinner. We need to forgive each other and, and, and have that ability to forget each other's uh, mistakes. I think absolutely. that's very important to remember for our community. I, I want to move a little bit to um, talking about bringing up the culture of care and allowance. You know, I, I, I mentioned it a little bit in my reflection, but having just our listeners from all over the community, some working with youth and some, you know, our parents, having an understanding and uh, um, embracing and cultivating space to allow for that. So, you know, when you mm. mentioned roots and the ability that, you know, everyone is welcome, come right. as you are. Right. Um, what are some advice, um, what's some advice that you could give communities across the country and action items you want them to know? Because they always, I know some Muslim communities, especially the Masajid, they really fear opening their doors so wide mm. because of protection for their own selves. So they're like, oh, my own son can't look at a girl that doesn't wear hijab. Yeah. My own daughter can't see a boy that has tattoos. She'll think it's okay. Right. Um, so what is your advice for scenarios like that? Because I know when you say you're welcome to all, you're welcome to all. Yeah. Um, so how do you balance that out with the fear for oneself? Yeah, that's actually a very interesting question because we 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 do have that um almost not it's not a problem, it's more like almost just like a 
just like a realization, right? Like, you know, by being welcoming to all, you also do present a challenge, which is, you know, exposure is, is you know, a, a thing. Um, and, you know, sometimes parents do choose. I mean, I'm not a parent yet, so I don't, I'm not, you know, I can't speak from a firsthand point of view, but I, I have seen several kids and parents in my life and I've seen how they kind of, you know, parent their, ch their children. And one of the st strategies and the tactics is to kind of like make sure my kids aren't exposed to anything like that. It's almost like that. And I'm not trying to, you know, like hate on any specific, you know, choice or anything like that, but it's almost like growing up, our, I, I kind of noticed that a lot with a lot of our Islamic school folks where like a lot of Islamic school parents will try to kind of make their, make sure their kids are not exposed to a lot of things. Um, but one of the side effects that I've seen, unfortunately, from that is that when kids are so sheltered uh, from, you know, just noticing and seeing the reality of where we live, one of the, the negative byproducts of that is that they get extremely shocked when they're out in the real world. Um, the reality is whether you're a kid that goes to public school or Islamic school, um, the reality is you're going to go to college one day, inshallah, right? Or you're going to be exposed to the work life one day where you will see an array of people, whether you like it or not. Um, and this is actually one of our issues, especially when it comes to specifically like the the gender interaction, right? Islam has a very, very, very specific point of view on how the gender should interact with each other with respect and manners and um, haya and shame and modesty. Um, and unfortunately, one of the tactics that our Muslim community has taken up is just completely having our to our, our young men and young women avoid each other forever. And they're like, don't go near them. It's haram, right? <laughs> um, and, and, and to a certain extent, of course, we understand that there's kind of like this process, right? There's this process of, of, of you know, young people getting to understand how to deal with it. But in my opinion, um, reactionary teaching and avoidance is very harmful at the end of the day. Um, when you are just teaching out of reaction, right? Like you finally find out that, Unfortunately, that your 17-year-old, you know, son is texting a girl, and oh my God, like now, what, what are we doing now? Like, what do I do? Um, or you know, like, oh, avoid that. You know, I mean, so many young Muslims are 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 taught like haram, 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 that like literally instinctually they just want to do it. I mean, it, it's literally a psychological thing for them at this point. Um, so rather than that at least here at Roots and, you know, uh, mashallah, a lot of the organizations, I'm sure mass at the end of the day as well, where we like to teach how to handle situations like that. You should be able to respectfully have a conversation with the opposite gender and know where the boundaries and, 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 and the, the line is. Uh, because at the end of the day, this is life. You know, when you leave the youth program and mashallah, you graduate to like the college program or the young professionals program, you should know how to interact. With, 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 a, with a proper Islamic manner. You should know where the boundaries and where the lines are that you don't cross those boundaries and lines. I don't want you to avoid, 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 avoid to the point where when you're exposed eventually at age- You don't 19, know how to deal. 20, you yeah. literally have no idea. Do I text back at 1 a.m. or do I just say, hey, you know what? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, talk to you inshallah tomorrow morning, you know, when I'm, you know, when I'm, I'm a little bit more like, you know, it's a little bit more appropriate time of the day. Uh, like how, how do we handle that stuff? So, you know, so to answer your question, right how do we find that balance uh to find that balance we have to number one like i said make sure that we teach how to handle situations rather than avoid them that's number one let's not let's not beat around the bush and worry about things i think we have done enough worrying and avoiding situations out of fear rather than 
head on. And that has caused significant damage with our youth that have actually come and gone already. Right. I mean, I, I actually call that a part of my generation. Right. I'm like, I just turned 28. And I remember when I was part of youth program, we used to literally be like, oh, my God, like, don't talk to them. It's haram. It's haram. It's haram. And then all of a sudden I knew a lot of my a lot of the guys that I knew ended up having people in their lives that were like girlfriends. And, you know, they were sneaking around behind their parents back. And and I was like, man, this is like we were literally taught not to do this stuff. But now, unfortunately, the reality is that they're doing it because they weren't taught properly and not, you know, not hating on, you know, our, our older generation because mashallah may Allah preserve them and, and, and accept the good from them. But the reality is that maybe they were not equipped to understand the contextual cultural way of addressing that issue because they just never had that issue specifically uh, when they were back home, right? Uh, so it takes a whole new set of skills to address that in you know current day America. Um, so that's number one is addressing things rather than avoiding them. Number two is also building a generation that's not judgmental. Man, subhanAllah, that is one of the biggest tests of all time because what you have when you, and, and again, like every everyone's personality is different. You will have those youth that come into mass and roots that are like, mashallah, hafidhul Quran, right? You know, muhaddith and knows how to quote, you know, ghazali and well, I, we always have those kids, right? Like, mashallah, can I give the adhan? I'm like, okay, calm down. <laughs> so like, you know, like, like you have those over- you have those overexcited Muslim kids, and, but what and, and we're happy because you know, like when when our parents see that, we're they're like, Mashallah, how amazing Ahmed is! Like, happening. but but also a side product of that is making sure that some of those kids are not looking down on kids that are not like that. You know, because the reality is, if you're like this kid that's super enthusiastic about Islam and you're like you're like raising your hand to give the adhan and lead salah, guess what, man? You're like the point zero 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 five percent of you Muslim youth in America. The average Muslim youth in America doesn't even pray, really. I don't think. You know, like so 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 we have to create that culture where, again, we don't want to rinse and repeat the same bad, you know characteristics that we had in the past where you know the, the the religious people are looked at wow religious i can't i can't ever get to that state mashallah right we want to make sure that the people that are looked at as quote unquote religious or practicing we want to make sure that those people are accessible right like they don't turn away the ones that are not quote unquote religious mm -hmm. right um and we can relate to that growing up, right? How many of us have our lives have been turned around because of that one imam or that one ustad or ustada that seemed so relatable to us, right? Like they played basketball with us after the session was over, mm -hmm. or they went out and yeah. grabbed they went out and grabbed lunch with us after the session was over. Those are the people that changed our lives, right? Um, not the people that just gave the lecture and bounced, right? That's so so very important so that's the, i think that's the number one number two that's the second point is to make sure that we are not a judgmental community that we are a community that understands that islam comes to people when allah allows it to come to people right and this is a lesson that allah taught the prophet that you cannot guide everyone who you love Rather, Allah guides those mayasha who He wills, um, and that, that and that mayasha may come when you're 16. That may come when you're 18. It may come when you're 25. You know, Allah knows best. And so, our job is literally You're a reminder. That's it. Don't think that you can change people's hearts like that. You are not the ultimate changer of hearts. Ya muqallib al-qulub is Allah. 
that that's that that's Allah, not you. You are just a mere facilitator. And if we cannot do our job as a facilitator properly, then man, subhanAllah, we gotta make sure that we find better people to do that job because that's such an important job and we cannot mess that up, right? Um, that's why I love mashallah what mass is doing. I know I know a lot of other organizations in the community try to like kind of develop youth directors because this is a completely different skill set. You have to have a skill set to do this job. Um, and so mashallah, you know, I think bright, bright future for, for the youth in America. And I hope that we can produce more and more qualified, authentic, good uh, youth mentors and leaders, inshallah. Inshallah. Uh, amen to that. I really pray that there's an opportunity to learn even from the previous generation. I always remind everyone all the time, the previous generation, our elders, our parents, they did the best they could with the Absolutely. knowledge that they had. Absolutely. And I feel like sometimes um, when you speak to especially teens these days and youth, they're like, oh, you know, they're very critical of that generation. And I really want to be mindful that they did the best they could with the knowledge that they had and the opportunities that they may have had. Um, but moving forward, taking this conversation with youth, I think that we now know better we now have the resources and tools to really shift that direction, the way we're addressing youth, the way we're teaching forgiveness, the way we're reminding um, how much heart we have to have with each other, how much care there needs to be with each other, that yeah. everyone's going through something right now. We're all collectively, whether it's the pandemic or getting out of the pandemic, or some people are half seasons Ramadan, or some yeah. people are still completely at home, or some people are completely out and about ranges of uh, physical worship yes. that was different than last Ramadan you know last Ramadan we were all on the same page we were all at home this Ramadan is going to look a little bit different yeah. and for people to have mercy on themselves for on each other to not have that judgment judgment goes both ways we're judging yes. those who we think are not practicing enough but we're also judging those who we think are practicing too much Absolutely. and we're assuming they're not approachable or we're assuming that they're too religious yeah. so having that consciousness that we are all human. We're all trying our very best and that we need to remind each other and ourselves of the requirements. You know, mm. there are worship and ritual requirements. There is prayer and there is fasting and there is giving charity. Um, but it's more of a reminder that we're all human and we all have to learn how to do these things mm. than for something to hold against each other. I mean, kids, youth and teens, they're not far from that reality. I mean, we're teaching um, teens that you need to go to the masjid and you need to go to pray and you need to, um, but we're not remembering that they feel bad making wudu or they feel bad being in that masjid space, taking someone else's spot yeah. because there is a quantity limit because of the pandemic, but reminding them that every act of worship that you do is for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that forgiveness you're seeking is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so I pray that, you know, uh, the space, whether it be at mass or at roots or at our masajid or community centers, there's always room to I mean, open up our doors to the youth. I mean, yeah, that's a that's that's a that's a profound sentiment. And I think, you know, like you said, um, I, one thing I wanted to kind of like make sure that, you know, whoever listens to this and all the listeners are aware of is that you know being being a part of a youth organization does not mean that you hate on or you know you 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 actually are ungrateful towards our parents generation mashallah you know they by the way had a set of characteristics that we honestly struggle with you know one of them being sincerity subhanallah i literally knew some of our uncles and aunties in the community who would literally set aside paychecks so they could actually uh build a masjid you know um and they didn't do it for instagram they didn't do it for Facebook. Mm -hmm. They didn't do it for TikTok. They didn't do it for any of these things. I mean, they literally did it. Fisabilillah. 
Um, and, and I think, you know, and I always tell a lot of our young people, I said, when you talk about your parents' generation, like, don't talk about them like they're just kind of like, you know, they ruined Islam. SubhanAllah, they're actually pioneers of Islam in America. Um, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have half the facilities that we have right now. I mean, I always, you know, we always say this, like, even with Roots, like, right? Uh, yeah, attendees may be young. But guess what? Who, who's sustaining this program? It's your parents. Your parents are the ones that are actually monthly sustainers, monthly donors that are that that believe in this program, that believe in this movement. Um, so don't just think that, oh, our parents are just kind of like disposable. You know, the older generation is not. You know, man, mm -hmm. they, they literally are the, the, the building blocks of what we have today. And we owe them our life with with with, you know, if it wasn't for them, we would not be able to do the program that we have today. Um, and and of, although that, you know, they obviously maybe didn't have uh, the best approach because of cultural uh, limitations, uh, maybe because of understanding limitations, that mean that does not mean that, you know, they didn't do absolutely whatever they could do to establish our communities. And I think that's something that's very, very important to bring up. And, you know, may Allah reward our parents and our grandparents and the mm -hmm. older generation uh, with all the work that they've done. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that you highlighted that sincerity is very, very authentic because, um, and very like just natural and real and organic because a lot of times that's what you saw that even though um, the mistakes happened, their heart was always in the right place. Mm. I mean, aunties waking up at 4 a.m. to make suhoor for the community. Literally. That was just baffling for me that it's so pure, so sincere. And so remembering that our parents, like you said, they're allowing us these youth spaces. Our parents or even the, the generation be between the parents, you know, the 30-year-olds, the, the ones that are parents to the young folks, they're very focused. I mean, I'm very focused on making sure there's always a space for you. There's the ability to always be accessible, whether it's text message. I mean, joining Snap just so that you could snap with them, um, yeah. Snapchat, you know, so that being on these platforms just so you could interact with them yes. because they want to know that you're reachable and that it's attainable. And that's what I love about all of our youth work, whether you see it through Roots, whether you through, see it through other organizations, and even Mass, like we have Mass Youth Ministry going around to the Masajid, training them how to build youth programs, training them how to build youth directors, training them how to make a space for youth, a youth lounge, a youth area, like you said, a coffee shop, the same as Roots does, mm. um, making it seem like home so that they'll always want to go there. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for Roots in Dallas and as well as other community centers. We have our math center here in Dallas. Um, very beautiful uh, opportunities, very humbling and very grateful to have that in our area. Brother Safi. It was really nice to have you today. I'm, I'm, I really hope our listeners enjoyed as much as I did. We look forward to having you back in the future. Any last thoughts, inshallah? No, Jazakallah Khairan. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, I'm honored. It's a privilege to be on here with you guys. And, you know, I've obviously been uh, a big fan of mass uh, growing up, actually, you know, even from like a young person through college. And also, uh, obviously, my my brother-in-law, uh, who is also an instructor at Roots, uh, you know, we're, we're big fans of mass and the work that you guys do, mashallah. And um, one last thing just wanted to kind of share with y'all is that just make dua for each and every single person that, you know, you know, uh, especially this Ramadan. Um, I think dua is a powerful tool, um, you know, whether you, uh, whatever, you know, we, me and Sister Wafa, we talked about, you know, the different strategies of youth programming and kind of making our communities more accessible to youth. But one of the things that, you know, everybody can do is make dua for each other. Um, whether you are directly in line with work, uh, working with youth or not, just make dua, man. Make dua that, you know, our, our, our tradition, our, our communities and our 
families are healthy and they're in a good state of Iman and a good state of health moving forward. Um, this month of Ramadan is an incredible opportunity for all of us to do some good. And like, you know, Sister Wafa was mentioning that um, it'll be it'll be different than what we're used to. But alhamdulillah, inshallah, well, at least here in Dallas, we have the opportunity of, you know, attending some in-person taraweeh and, you know, prayers and reminders and stuff like that. So inshallah, we, we look forward to this Ramadan and we look forward to healing as a community, both in terms of our health and in terms of our spirituality. Uh, we look forward to this month and inshallah, may Allah bless you guys and may Allah reward you and your families. And we hope to, uh, we hope that this, this podcast benefited whoever listened to it and make some dua for us and uh, ask that Allah accepts this from us. I think that's one of the biggest kind of ending statements that we're we're taught at Qalam, right? Our, our our instructors at Qalam always teach us this, that at the end of every good deed that you do, there's a there's two concepts called qabiliyah and qubuliyah. Qabiliyah is like just like that, that, that action you do, qubuliyah is that acceptance of that action. So make sure that at the end of every single deed that you do, whether it's a podcast or a conversation that you have with somebody, just ask Allah to accept it from you because you never know it's sincerity like we mentioned at the end of the podcast sincerity changes um you know intentions change so make sure that you we, we wrap a little gift tie a bow tie around our good deeds at the end of it by asking Allah to accept it thank you for joining us to our listeners thank you for joining us as well on the remastered podcast see you on the next episode